are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the AM640 studios in Toronto, with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning, Toronto. Another edition of Hi-Fi Radio AM640. I do thank you very kindly for joining us this week, and we do have a blockbuster lineup, as we do, we believe, every week. Um, We have Big Blue in the house, IBM tech company that survived the tech crash, tech company that was, well, I guess they made clocks way back in the day. When I was in school, I knew IBM as a company that made clocks. You know why? Because I stared at it all the time. When is recess? IBM told me when recess was. <sighs> 1970, it's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yes, I'm going to have Gupta from IBM. And uh, Manav is a... Uh, engineer, but he's not just an engineer. He's a distinguished engineer. I'm looking forward to speaking with him for a couple of uh, bits and bites today. Uh, we're also going to have uh, my favorite tourist, macro tourist on uh, Kevin Muir. Uh, we're going to be back to blockchain and talk about the surge in the Canadian dollar. Millennials, 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 we got them today. Our two interns for the summer, uh, Ansel Gravel and San- uh, Samantha Kim. Kim's Convenience, sort of. We're going to talk about that. My millennials are great, and they got great stories to share with you as to what they are up to. But without further ado, Manav, IBM, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wolfgang. So uh, I saw you speak a couple months ago at a, an insurance conference, and um, you were speaking about Watson. I like the name. I like yeah. the brand. Uh, Watson is so intelligent. And uh, I guess the, the theme around Watson was, uh, artificial intelligence and how it is going to affect our lives and its ability to aggregate information, decipher the information and give it to people like me in bite-sized pieces because I got a bit of a small brain. I like things in bits and bites, <laughs> so to speak. So uh, I do welcome you to show and I want you to share with the audience what's new at IBM because it's a company that just has been around for so long yet it continues to have to evolve yep. to compete with the likes of Salesforce and Microsoft and Oracle and I think you guys are doing a reasonable job, a bit challenging lately, but you're thinking long cycle, long term. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, exactly as you said, IBM is a 104-year-old company. Uh, We've uh, branched ourselves from uh, what used to be our traditional mainframe business, as an example, into more modern businesses. Uh, Over the course of last uh, four years, uh, five years or so, we have been uh, radically transforming ourselves into uh, uh, releasing more products and services via the cloud, uh, really transforming IBM into a cognitive solutions and a cloud platform company. That's really what our essential focus is on for the company. Um, and when, when we talk about cognitive solutions, for, the, for us, that is a combination of AI and analytics. So the idea is to augment human reasoning with the vast troves of uh, data that exists, which is, and 80% of that data is dark data. It's unstructured, whether it's image or text, and you need machines to be able to not only ingest them, but to reason with them, to comprehend them, and take actions based on that. So bulk of our research and our product portfolio is now shifting towards offering those cognitive solutions, and cloud is our delivery platform. So a few years ago, when public cloud became more and more adopted in the market space, the enterprises still used to be a bit wary about it, whether it was the concerns around security, as an example, or perhaps a lack of maturity. Regulators were not quite up to speed with that. But what we're now seeing is this emergence of cloud adoption in the enterprise space because every single CIO is looking to do more with less, 
speed is of the essence. Everybody, everybody wants to introduce new services into the marketplace as quickly as they can. So in the last four years, we, are, we have been onto this radical transformation journey, trying to reinvent ourselves as a cognitive solutions and a cloud platform company. At this point, about 40% of our revenues comes from our strategic imperatives uh, perspective at this point. The, the cognitive solutions. Yeah. Explain to the audience what that means in layman's terms. Again, it's early on a Saturday morning. Sure. So cognitive solutions for us is a machine that's looking at all of your enterprise data as well as data that's available in the public domain, whether it's licensed data or just publicly available data. And taking that data, ingesting that data, cleansing that data, and reason and, and making decisions based upon the conclusions that it draws. So you, you may have a very simple scenario such as if you think about our solution for Watson for oncology, where Watson is being used or the Watson AI engine is being used to detect cancers. So in the past, or even today, we have radiologists processing that information to determine whether what type of the cancer it is, what grade it, the cancer may be, whether it's a cancer or just a lesion as an example. Whereas you can have cognitive models that are built that, that go over historically known cases of this is what the cancer looks like. So you train the machine on some data and then you can apply that training going forward into the new cases as an example. Um, I can give you some other examples. So we have some companies in Canada as an example that are using Watson for detecting um, in uh, radial images whether a certain landmark is a car park or a golf course. (laughs) (laughs) Relevant. Well, or you can have a scenario where, for example, the cities, municipalities want to know that within a certain geography how many golf courses have been built because there are regulations based upon, like in a certain area, you're only allowed to build so many golf courses. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you can expand, and we are, we are beginning to see expansion of those use cases. So we have companies that are looking to use machine learning or AI to detect whether what percentage of a farmer's field should be refertilized. Hmm. So rather than the farmer having to go themselves or refertilize the entire field at worst, or just making educated guesses on where the whether it's bugs or any other pest uh, pests problem that they may have, you can th- you can have machine learning combined with the satellite images to do that conclusion for you. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. The use cases are just plenty. You know, like about this is my millennials are just nodding their head. They're getting it. I'm confused. Uh, but hey, Generation X, my friend. <laughs> uh, look, we, we gotta pay some bills around here, Manav. Uh, I want some of your predictions for cloud computing 2017. Hang around. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. Science. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. Welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio AM640. Good morning to you. Yes, indeed, a distinguished engineer from IBM. Manav Gupta is here to join Jack Hartle, myself, my millennial partners, shall I say, Ansel Gravel and Samantha Kim all in the house this morning. Uh, so predictions for cloud computing. Actually, before we get to that, uh, off air, we we're just talking about uh, companies succeeding in the cloud. Earnings results in from Microsoft. Earnings doubled year over year. Why? Because they made the transformation to the cloud. Oracle hitting 52 weeks highs. Why? Because it made its transition to the cloud. IBM is a big machine, and it, too, 
is working on making a transition successfully to the cloud. Warren Buffett was long your stock. Uh, and I, Jack, did he cut that position? Yeah, he reduced it, but I think he's still long. He's still long, reduced, yeah. reduction, but long. Eh? So yep. he still has some faith. And hey, having Warren in your back pocket must make, you feel, must make you feel good, right? Lorianne, you good with that? <laughs> Manav, Manav's handlers are in the house. I said we got Donald <laughs> Trump coming on next. Wait till, wait till you see his handlers. All right, Manav. So what are your big predictions for cloud computing in 2017? So in terms of the predictions, number one, there is greater adoption of public cloud. So in the past, we have seen all large companies, large enterprises wanting to, they, they like the private cloud, but they didn't like the security of it, or they didn't like giving up control. So they all went down the path of trying to build something of their own. And they've all realized how difficult it is to build a private cloud environment. So number one prediction that I see is greater enterprise adoption of the public cloud. That's where we see bulk of the workloads going. So the things that you mentioned around, whether it's the rise of the Microsoft, as an example, because of the cloud activity, that's a classic use case where organizations are moving their workloads to the cloud. Mm -hmm. Security, uh, improve, vast improvements in security. So where security used to be a concern, uh, some larger organizations especially felt that perhaps security isn't quite there. I think the thinking is now changing because cloud public cloud providers are now custodians of large percentage of the workloads, utility workloads around the world, in some, you could argue that the security posture that they have is probably better than what organizations have on-premises. Fair enough. Right, so we see improvements in security. Number three, what we see is greater partnerships. So what we're finding more and more is when you put a workload into the cloud, it's not just that uh, you put in a workload and it's sitting there in an isolation. Any workload that runs on any cloud has to call other workloads. So if you talk about a let's say a website or an e-commerce solution for any company, they might have a bunch of servers that they put into a cloud, but maybe it needs to make calls to their existing SAP system. Maybe it needs to call their CRM system that might be Salesforce as an example. Maybe the workload that they're running requires VMware to run as an example. So what we are seeing is greater partnerships, and we see this across the spectrum, whether it is IBM yeah. having in, in, entering into those partnerships with the likes of Salesforce and yeah. VMware, Microsoft wanting to do the same thing, or you know, other providers such as Google, etc. Hey, how, how about this one here? Amazon JV with Sears. That's another example. Yep. This week, right to sell what? Yep. Is the, what's the brand? Kenmore. Kenmore. Yeah. Kenmore Ken, Ken Ken appliances. Kenmore. Yep. yep. Yeah. Remarkable stuff. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't have tabled five totally. years ago. You really, really yep. wouldn't. And I think this again speaks to the type of innovation companies are able to do because of the flexibility and the speed of cloud. Mm -hmm. Like it. You know, there are a lot of people that now argue that two guys sitting in a Starbucks have access to the same computing power as a large organization. And that's so entirely true. Like, so long as you have the right idea, you can really venture into getting a bunch of servers, testing your idea out really, really quickly. If it works, you can roll it out to your uh, subscriber base or your user base. If it doesn't work, you can scale back very quickly, rather than the traditional cycles where you need a big investment up front and long del delivery cycles. Like those days are long gone. Now it's all about how can I get an MVP, a minimal viable product, released in four to six weeks? How can I test out my ideas really, really quickly? That's amazing. The uh, like you said, the scale that these companies are able to create, and I think that's one of the big moats that they have. And you see it between you know IBM, Salesforce. Um, that's one thing that's going to drive the uh, the technology. I think for the fact that you have this scale without the upfront cost. I think. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's that's part of the innovation too, right? You see these two guys sitting in a coffee shop, coming up with an amazing idea. What yep. they can do is now scale it up, and if it doesn't work, at least they didn't, you know, break the bank doing it. 
Absolutely. So the whole traditional IT model, which was heavy CapEx focused, yep. has now moved to all OpEx. And <laughs> for larger enterprises, this is about trying to accelerate their innovation funnel. So generally in any organization of any size, you have a bunch of people come up with smart ideas. But to try and execute those ideas always required, okay, can we really do this or not? Mm-hmm. You know, how much is it going to cost? How much are you going to invest? How much are you going to invest? Hence the capital expense that you're referring to. Yes. Whereas now, it's very easy to quickly spin up a couple of VMs into a public cloud, test your idea out, whatever that idea might be, whether it's a new feature function that you're trying to release, a new function to your website. If it doesn't work, for whatever reason, whether it's technological or user adoption, you can bring it all back down. And that's the model. That's why cloud is becoming so attractive to um, enterprises. Fascinating. Ben Av, you're a distinguished guy. Not because you're a distinguished engineer, just because you're a distinguished guy. So I want to thank you for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio, AM640. Uh, and we, I, we're going to bring back uh, someone from Watson, correct, Lorianne? Lorianne, your peeps, is going to bring back someone right, from Watson. I'm, 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 I'm very intrigued about this Watson guy or sure. gal. Is, it, is Watson male or female? Gen- gender neutral? No, we have gender neutral. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, very good. Stick around, folks. Coming up next, Kevin Muir, the macro tourist. Who doesn't like a tourist? I do. Uh, He's going to talk about the Canadian dollar, and he is going to talk about cryptocurrencies. I'm sure IBM knows all about cryptocurrencies as well, don't you, Manav? He knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay tuned. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Wakey, wakey, Toronto. All I bring to the party is 25 years of mistakes. The macro tourist is in the house. Kevin Muir, thank you for joining us, my man. Great to be with you guys again. Uh, oh, you're sounding, you're getting good at this radio thing. <laughs> I like it. Good for you. Um, yeah, my nephew, my BM has hung around because I want him to meet you. Reason being is you were the first miner. And I'm not talking gold, I'm talking crypto, not night currencies. I don't think I was the first, but I was that, definitely- that I know, that yeah. First that I know, the first <laughs> okay, miner that enough. I know. Yep. Uh, you didn't let me finish. Okay. Um, it's, it's okay. Uh, the first crypto miner that I know, or, um, and of course, Manaf from IBM, uh, he, he dates back his mining days to 2012. Uh, so who was first? Um, I can't remember. What was the price of Bitcoin when you started? I think it was um, for me. It was it was I don't know forty fifty bucks. I think twenty twenty dollars something. Oh, like so that. you were first. I mean, it seemed an exciting project. Something. It's it seemed something really exciting and fun to do at the time. Did you have? Um, did you just do it on a regular PC, or did you like buy some butterfly machines and do the whole nine yards? Uh, initially, just some PCs. So I had a few laptops lying around in the house. Right. And it was more to learn about cryptocurrency and the blockchain, the technology. Yeah. Um, yep. and, and did you eventually like uh, progress to the point where you were getting butterfly machines, or did you always stick on to the? Uh, uh, I stuck on to just the regular laptops, right. and then quite uh, you know very quickly they ran out of power as right. the as the complexity of the problem grew. Right. Um, I did buy, in all honesty, one ASIC machine. Yeah. To try and see if I could beat the giga hash rate and see if I could actually begin to mine some crypto. Right. Um, but then, <laughs> like with everything else, it became a hobby project, and you know, I didn't really progress beyond. Beyond, I think I did manage to mine back in the time half a block, something right. like that. Well, we we went. And we actually bought the fancy, full-on butterfly machines that specialized nice. in 
Bitcoin mining. And we had so many in our office for a while that it actually got so hot. So high up. And uh, we had to move it over into the, the garage, my partner's garage, because right. it was... Uh, we were frying. We were sitting there in 100-degree weather, nice. like in our office, and we were saying, this is ridiculous. No, what, no, okay, guys, sorry, I want to ask you a question here, okay. Kevin, because, because we got Ansel Gravel here. Uh, Ansel is a summer student with uh, Jack and I. Um, Ansel applied for a job. Now, he's, he's a millennial, 20 years old, um, and he applied for a job a couple months ago, and the Wolfman said no. And he took no, he, he did not take no for an answer. He called me back the next day and said, uh, Wolf, come on, I want to work with you guys. I think it's been great. And I said, you win, I lose, you're going to join us. So he joined us. And uh, so Ansel, uh, I, I mentioned cryptocurrency. I mentioned your name a couple of times in the office. And so Ansel, welcome to the show. First of all, Hi-Fi Radio. Hey, how's it going? It's going very, very well. Thank you. Get close to the microphone. Make love to the mic. Uh, <laughs> now, Ansel, tell us about your experience, what you, what you and your 20-somethings do in terms of cryptocurrency. Yeah, so uh, I started mining uh, cryptocurrencies with a buddy of mine. His name's Eric Stinson. He goes to the University of Toronto. And I stay a few nights a week at his place just to save me from the daily commute. And one day early on in the summer, he said, hey, you got to check this out. I found this software online. You download it free, click of a button. It just runs in the background of your PC and uh, slowly mines bitcoins and other cryptos. Um, so I was like, wow, that doesn't seem real. It's too good to be true. And he says, yeah, you just let it run and you can make about $70 a month just for keeping your computer on. So I immediately was skeptical. I said, well, what's, what's the cost of that power running the, the, the PC? I mean, I don't want to keep my computer running all the time. And he said, well, here's the funny part. My landlord pays for all my utilities, so <laughs> we can use all the power we want, free Wi-Fi unlimited. Because here, Kevin, so, so you took into what your, your partner's parents' garage. So your parents, no, paid, no, no, the parents put, were paying the bill. No, no, it was, it was his garage. Oh, and, his garage. And, and it, um, and, and you, you've got it spot on. That is what it ends up being a function of. It ends up being electricity. Yep. And I, if you actually look at the the cost, I bet you you made seventy dollars of. Uh, of money in Bitcoin, but I bet you it costs you 50 or something like that of electricity to see, create see, it. Now, you know what's amazing? Again, in, in a year's time, marijuana is going to be legalized, perhaps, in Canada. And, 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 and I've heard of stories, I kid you not, of growers hot-wiring the electrical grid to get power to run their light bulbs. Are you guys up to that kind of stuff? Yeah, no, not for us. Not for, like when you were running all your machines, did, did you notice the the the, the dial spend? The, well, the to bill be truthful, up? when we started, we were in the office. Because they, they bust. That's how they used to bust. Yeah. growers. Fair enough. And now they're busting Bitcoin guys. So, so like perhaps yeah, the big government's yeah. going to fly over and find out who's you know. Did, did he, he the reality is, it's, it's a fun little project now, but you really can't compete because you need to have these fancy machines. And a lot of it is kind of moved to Iceland and places where there where the there's no heat problem. They have yeah. natural cooling and they have cheap electricity that's through. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, you know something. First of all. It's colder in Quebec than it is Ontario, and I think their power prices are a wee bit lower than ours, aren't they? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. That's why Google recently went and they decided to choose Montreal over Toronto. And so did Hydropothecary, which is a grower, a legal grower. You just keep medical... coming back to the marijuana, don't you? <laughs> it's, it's, it's coming up in a year's time, what can I say? And it is high fire radio, which is high finance, high fidelity. And there is more of it, my friends, coming up right after this. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. Well, good morning, Toronto. And of course, Jack Hartle is back with us. Thank goodness, shall I say. Uh, Mike Bellamy 
nothing personal. Uh, you're great. <laughs> um, Kevin, you're in the house. And uh, Kevin, there's two things I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the rise in the Canadian dollar. Uh, I believe its rapid ascent will do some of the work for the Bank of Canada. And if it does some of the work for the Bank of Canada, perhaps housing doesn't burst. Uh, of course, the fear was the uh, Canadian dollar stays low, uh, interest rates rise, and uh, you get yourself a burst in the housing market. So let's talk about both. And you tell me which way you want to start, Canadian dollar or housing? And well, let's connection. start with the housing because everybody, there's a lot of people concerned that we're, you know, on the precipice of a real crash. And uh, when you when you listen to a lot of these U.S. hedge funds, like the famous short seller, Mark Cahodes, that took uh, down uh, home capital, you they have some pretty uh, dire predictions about where we're headed and they they are convinced that we are going to basically experience another 2008 u.s style real estate crash and i just don't think we're going to do that and uh and i can tell you why if you yeah like. please do sure um in the u.s it was a very unique situation in that the u.s dollar is the reserve currency so when they had their housing bust it actually created a situation where they got into trouble and the U.S. dollar, instead of going down, actually went up. And the reason with that was because credit was being destroyed. And as credit was being destroyed, people were paying back their loans. And when they pay back their loans, it actually, because a lot of credit is created in U.S. dollars, it caused the U.S. dollar to go up. So it was very unique in that they had both a, a real estate crash that was accompanied by a rise in their currency. Mm-hmm. And we're in a much different situation. If we get a situation where we actually start to get a decline in housing that actually affects our economy, we have the ability to actually go and print money and actually allow the currency to depreciate. And that's gonna basically act as a stabilizer for the for the nominal price of houses. So. If, so imagine all of a sudden housing goes down 25% tomorrow. What's going to happen is that the Polos is, you know, the Bank of Canada, mm-hmm. he's going to go, he's going to lower rates. And then if he lowers them to zero, he's going to basically start printing money. QE. Yeah, Q, quantitative easing. He's going to be buying bonds. And what that's going to do is it's going to create a lot more Canadian dollars and it's going to cushion the, the decline in the housing. But what's going to what's going to be kind of on the other side of that is going to basically be um, the Canadian dollar. So in real terms, what will happen is that Canadians, we will be poorer. When that happens, and as global citizens, you're that's correct. About. Like in terms of what we can buy with our money, we'll be poorer, but there won't be the same sort of crash scenario that we saw in the U.S. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, and in, in in terms of you want to talk about the loony, um, going back to all these U.S. hedge funds that were sh- that um, that are being predicting. They, the, the funny thing is, these guys have been predicting the end of uh, the Canadian real estate for the last five years. Like literally, there was. There was a U.S. hedge fund guy that created a fund specifically to to short Canadian real estate. They, this is not a new story for them. They've been, um, you know, just dying for us to, to for our bubble to pop and for us to experience what they experienced. They've been shorting the banks, I think, for the last five years, along yep. with the real estate as well. You're absolutely and correct. It seems like every time they've uh, done it, they've got their heads that's, handed to them and they, they run for cover. That's right. The only thing is that some of them got lucky in that they did the U.S. They shorted like the loony way back when, and they got skated on side by the fall in the in the oil so some of them actually didn't end up losing as much money and they thought they were smart because they thought oh you know we're going to short canada because of the overpriced real estate but the reality was it was more to do with saudi arabia um, pumping a bunch of oil and sending the price down than it had anything to do with the bus the bursting of our bubble mm-hmm. so so kevin with what you're saying there um the loonies rallied as, as wolfgang reference it's bumping up almost against 80 cents it was about probably 72 and a half maybe the last time you're on air with us um are you bearish on the the loony then? Yeah. Uh, so 
So re- what's, what's happened is kind of like a couple of months ago, they were extremely short. They were all, when Marco Hodes in the home capital first first came about, mm-hmm. they started really leaning on it because they thought this is the start. And These they, are the U.S. investors. That's right. And, and, and just the, the hedges. Well, yeah, not yeah. just yeah. the hedges, but you know, across the world, they ended up just pushing on it. And they got short. And then what happened was when we eventually got the Buffett bump, you know, on the when he came in and saved the day, and all of a sudden it appeared that our housing wasn't going to collapse overnight – we all of a sudden had a huge rally in the U, in the in the loony because basically these guys were forced to cover, mm-hmm. and um, not only that, now we also have a situ- situation where the U.S. dollar is going down. So I would argue that right now the Canadian dollar isn't rallying as much as everyone thinks. It's just the U.S. dollar is going. Yeah, down. No, yeah, Jack, you've had, Jack, yeah. So you've had that initial bump, like you talked about with home capital and the fact right. that uh, the shorts covered. And now it's more of a, a, a yeah. the U.S. dollar weakness, and you see that against the euro, the yen, and uh, all global currencies. Basically. That's right. And, and and our economy has been performing better than the U.S. The U.S. has been having trouble getting traction, and and uh, and and Polos, you know, uh, kind of surprised people with a little bit of a hawkish statement in terms of this latest rise, and then he projected or, or signaled another rise down down the road, which kind of caught the markets off guard, which basically put a bid to the loony. Yeah. But I I think it's going to be short lived, and uh, you know, it's it's it's. Uh, it's not going to take much to slow down our economy with, you know, the, the fact is that our housing is overextended and, and, and you know, between the, the tax on the foreigners and the fact that, the, you know... Well, the, oil's 45 bucks. Yeah. And the, it's just, I would say the most recent piece that I saw had uh, the market pricing in more rate hikes in the next 12 to 18 months in Canada than the U.S. and our economy is certainly not capable of sustaining you're, that. You're, yeah. You're so. absolutely correct. So I think it's going to be the, the strength in the, in the loony will be short-lived. So what's the upper level or upper end of the range, in your opinion? It's going to depend a lot on the what the U.S. dollar does. So, but yeah, I, yeah. I like I've already started shorting it. I I think we're there, and uh, you know, as it goes higher, I'm just going to give them a little bit more. You give it to them. I'm long the U.S. buck, uh, and uh, it was it was tailwind. It's now become headwind, and I believe this year it'll become tailwind again for Jack and I. But here's here's hoping. Here's praying. Hang around, folks. We're going to get right back to some more science, blockchain coming up right after this. Stay with us. There's more show still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. Oh, good morning, Toronto. I do remember an old fable story of a friend of mine who said the internet it's a fad. I will say I tried to Uber over here to the Chorus Entertainment Studios this morning, and Uber failed me. It was not working in my neighborhood. So I had to take a taxi cab, and yes, it was available. It worked. Good old analog, shall I say. Mm-hmm. Um, Manav is here from IBM still. Manav, big open-ended question for you, and you're going to run with this with Jack. What is blockchain? Thank you, Wolfgang. So blockchain is the underlying technology behind behind all cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin that we were talking about previously. So the blockchain, the technology, what it allows us to do is establish trust in all transactions. In the past, since the times of the Silk Route or the Silk Trade as an example, we would <laughs> use middlemen to establish trust, whether it is the government-appointed middlemen, the tribesmen as an example, or tribes leaders rather, or to central banks and reserve banks, etc. These are the institutions that stock exchanges. Stock exchanges. They mm-hmm. provide. They are the ones that are providing us trust. So traditionally, or over the course of the progress of human civilization, this trust has become centralized, 
and with all centralized systems there are always risks whether mm. it whether it is risks or high barriers to entry that as an example you want to start a new bank or a new payments exchange you got to be onto the swift gateway as an example mm-hmm. the blockchain technology promises to democratize that so rather than being a centralized it becomes a decentralized system and blockchain in the business context is way more valuable and much bigger than just a cryptocurrency literally every single transaction that we do today is at risk of being modified wow. is at risk of being changed whether it is the banking industry or the automotive industry the insurance industry governments healthcare so could could you give us a non-financial um industry sure. i guess and an a good example yeah. so if you think about the land registry in canada today or and <laughs> this applies to anywhere in the world right If you think about the ecosystem of parties involved in buying and selling a piece of property. Hmm. So you have in that network the obviously the realtors, the banks that might be providing mortgages, the insurance companies, the actual realtor a, realtor agencies that have to take a cut. You might have the underwriters from the insurance company as an example, and then the actual city that's providing the land titles. So, uh, and the and the lawyers, multiple lawyers on all of those sides. within this entire ecosystem they all require visibility into ownership of that asset as that piece of property changes from one hand to the other in today's systems there is a lot of delay so so many times we happen we have the situation that even though we all hire lawyers after you have done the transaction you find out that there was a lien on the property <laughs> right or just the time that it takes for the land titles to change hands. Yeah, even in the stock market which is highly liquid you have the T plus 3 so trade yeah, date plus absolutely. 3 days, yeah. days, yeah. Yep, processing of credit derivatives in the financial industry as an example. That's a that's another classic example of how do you provide visibility, complete visibility and to end visibility with security right. to the various participants. That's fundamentally what blockchain is trying to do. So the idea behind blockchain is and why it's called blockchain is that transactions get grouped into blocks and they're written as a single block and each block references a block that came before before it so it essentially forms a chain of blocks <laughs> at at any one point in time once you have visibility into one block you can traverse the entire chain and validate and then the underlying current, uh, uh, underlying technology behind it distributes that ledger so in this studio here we have 6 7 people we will all get a copy of that ledger Right. How how long has this technology been around for? So 2008 was the seminal paper written by the by Satoshi Nakamoto and or the pseudonym Satoshi. And 2009 blockchain uh, had the first implementation with Bitcoin. Right. But huh. now we have under working with a uh, open source project called the Hyperledger project with Linux Foundation. We now have world's first enterprise grade blockchain. that's available and ready for business. So how rapidly do you see this uh, being widely adopted? It's it's adopted now, I guess, for sure and you see it's absolutely yeah, so but um how how far or how long till it actually gets into the real mainstream into the businesses you're talking it's about? It's already happening. So we yeah. in IBM we have done about 400 projects around the globe, including several in Canada alone. And there are in various stages of adoption whether it's first projects to try and figure out how things are going to change to actually rolling out uh global uh initiatives. Uh, at this point the analysts are predicting a compounded annual growth of 60% or more for the next 10 years or so for blockchain wow so this is happening rapidly regardless right. of what industry you pick blockchain promises to change how we work with that industry let me give you some some more examples 
today when we go to any hospitals or for any treatment even though the hospitals or the clinic uh, clinical physicians may have uh, electronic medical records you as patients you and i as patients have no visibility into how much of our data is being exchanged from one right. group to another what if there was a way that you and i are also part of that network we now get to see what part of our data is being exchanged and we can have place some have and we can have there for some control over it yes that's funny that you mentioned that uh, manav because my son just uh had a rendezvous with sick kids right. uh he, he had a little dirt bike accident at the cottage dislocated and broke his elbow i'm sorry to hear that uh, it, it, well it was what it was nine o'clock in the morning on a Oof. saturday so the the local hospital set his elbow um and then they gave us his um x-rays and we took him to sick kids the next day and sick kids then immediately looked at the x-rays and continued on the, the process of uh putting a pin in his arm and fixing his broke his break but my point is the way we shared those x-rays i was actually able my, my wife took a picture of the x-ray in the hospital and then texted it to me and i personally thought that was cool that i could send that text of an x-ray to my friend derek holbig who is a paramedic uh for, with toronto and he sent it off to another surgeon who saw the work that sick kids did and said they did a great job yeah uh, so i thought that was really really cool but you're, you're talking at a whole different level like well that, absolutely right? yeah and but we shared that information it's a very primitive sense of what you're talking about y- you know what let me give you another example so we are working on our digital identity project in canada this is canadian innovation and this is a project that's ahead of practically anything else in the world in that space the idea is we have the top 6 financial institutions in canada the two big insurance companies and the three telcos they've all come together to create this digital identity on the blockchain so imagine a young person that goes to a bar and they have to show id to get a drink generally that id ends up being something like a driver's license which has more than just their just a verification that they are of legal drinking age mm-hmm. you know they have their address date of birth etc what if there was a way that they that, that they can prove that they are of a legal drinking age without sharing other pieces of information that they don't need to share hmm. that's that idea so the idea here is participants into this blockchain network across the financial industry and others in the future can onboard subscribers like you or I essentially all of population of Canada and we as owners of our id control what part of our information goes to another financial organization extremely powerful very robust and promises to change everything that we do today well identity theft is a growing problem uh it, it's a huge huge concern who's that who's that uh, software company that you can buy protection for i think it's the united states so there's a service you can protect uh, lifelock i think lifelock oh, yeah. lifelock yeah, yeah. uh manav You are distinguished, my main man. I said that before, and I mean it. I really, really appreciate you joining us this Saturday morning on Hi-Fi Radio AM 640. Centralized or decentralized, our next guest went to North Korea. We're going to learn all about Samantha's trip right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM 640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM 640. Wow, little air guitar in the studio. I'm waking up now. Very good. Samantha Kim is in the house. So Samantha uh, is working with Jack and I this summer. I like millennials. I support millennials. And millennials are good people. Certainly the two that Jack and I brought on board. Ansel Gravel and Samantha Kim. Now, Samantha also is the boss's daughter, so I... 
But I don't have to say that, okay? Because you know who the real client, the real boss in my world is, is the client. And Jack and I take care of 230 of those. So, Samantha, here's, here's the deal. Um, she went to North Korea. That intrigued Jack and I immensely. So I want you to tell, talk to us about your trip to North Korea. But, again, this is Hi-Fi Radio. And your work ethic came from somewhere. And I wasn't sure if it was your father or your grandparents. But I learned it was your grandparents because your family also owned a slew of, of Dairy Queens out in Alberta. And you served a bit of ice cream. Why don't you tell me that story as well? All right. So let's start with your journey. And thank you for coming to the show, Samantha. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah. So I believe I started working. Um, well, how I got to working was uh, I really wanted a laptop. And back <laughs> then when I was 14, a laptop was $1,200. So my parents were like, okay, we're not going to buy you a laptop. That's just too nice of us. What we'll do, though, is we'll split half of it with you if you go and work in, in Dairy Queen and uh, with your grandparents. So I said, okay, sounds good. So when I got there, my grandparents were like, all right, well, you've been tasked with helping us work. So what we're going to do is we're going to work you. <laughs> and uh, they did. Uh, for the entire summer, for those two months, I worked uh, every single day. I got one day off a week. I think it was Sunday. And I worked from probably about 7 or 8 in the morning till 5 absolutely every day. And, Your uh, grandparents worked you 12, 10 to 12 hours a day for six days a week? Yes. <laughs> and you have a big smile on your face right now. And how was that experience for you? I personally, I actually really enjoyed it. It was a lot of hard work, um, but I mean, I got to deal with ice cream every day. So I don't know what 14-year-old didn't appreciate that as a part of their work um, other than... Well, the teenagers can often have short fuse and, you know, a couple, you know, 20 minutes of ice cream because then it gets a little uh, dull. But you, you, you worked hard, girl. I, I'm, I'm impressed. And, and I see it in your work ethic. But again, so your family, uh, Samantha, is from both North and South Korea. And again, I'm of German descent. So we, you and I have a real connection here because both of our ancestors homeland had a wall go up in the middle of it mm -hmm. um the germans took down their wall thank goodness your wall shall i say remains but you wanted to see family in north korea and so you did that so wh how do you go about going to north korea and what kind of hoops do you have to jump through to get there and what's the experience like so I can't talk about the whole um, hoops that I've had to go through in order to get there because I think my grandfather, who has visited North Korea several times, uh, did most of that paperwork for me. Uh, but what I do know is it was about a six-month process to get my visa, which I didn't even get until I went to China and went to the consulate there, as I believe um, North Korea only has one consulate, and that is in China. Um, and it was pretty crazy because no I... no consulate for North Korea and Canada. I don't believe so. You had to so. go to China to get to the consulate. Yes. Okay. Um, and it was pretty crazy because uh, I, there was a delay in my flight coming from Japan. So uh, the day that I arrived in China, the, I went the next morning, picked up my visa, and then that afternoon I flew out to North Korea. And when you arrived, you, you said you had a, sh uh, a chaperone? I did. It, which reminds me of the, watching the Olympics in 1975 during the Cold War when all the Russian athletes had their chaperones. But you said they also stripped you of... You my know, passport. And what else? They stripped me of my passport. Uh, they didn't take anything else, but they did make notes, extensive notes on all of the technologies we brought. Um, and that was because if you tried to leave the country without the technologies you arrived with, you would be immediately taken. Um, to where? Uh, probably to jail, um, as it's illegal to distribute or leave any information that you're taking with us or any technology here in North Korea that would be considered treasonous and it would be considered trying to impart Western knowledge um, into uh, and then set that into North Korean mindset. So it was not good. So, so what was the technology like when you were there? I'm sure you saw some of the, the factories or some of the uh, uh, restaurants. Hi and, yeah, yeah, all that, and the infrastructure. What was that like when you were there? 
Um, well, when we went, we got a very limited tour. Uh, so I didn't actually get to see very many factories at all. It was mostly just the downtown uh, buildings and areas and so on and so forth. Um, from a first glance, it looks like um, you know a regular metropolitan city, but it had this very um, strange feeling that the moment that you landed, you felt as if you were transported back to the 1960s. Um, and all of the technology seemed to reflect that, uh, especially you know uh, talking with some of my cousins. They had seen a cell phone like mine before, but uh, one of the questions they asked me was, how do you press the buttons on your phone? And I didn't know how to answer that. I was I uh, struggled really hard with saying it's in the screen, and the finger in the screen just knows that you press the button. You know, Jack Jack made a very interesting point to me this week, knowing that we're going to bring you on the radio regarding uh, Donald Trump's inauguration into the White House and his advice from um, uh, Barack Obama, President Barack yeah, Obama. Yeah, when when he came into the White House, uh, I think Barack Obama said that uh, probably the the most challenging event or the most challenging. Um, Thing that he's going to have to deal with in his presidency is North Korea, and you can see in the last you know couple months they've been launching missiles, and it sounds like uh, uh, Barack Obama might be right with the, the challenges that uh, the U.S. and globally we're going to face with North Korea. Well, threat. Uh, let's certainly hope nothing materializes. Uh, Samantha, do, do you think we're okay? We're gonna- um, as I as I've read recently, I believe that South Korea is extending an arms of what's called a sunshine. Um, agreement, and I believe that was something that they tried to instigate earlier, which was to bring talks of, about trade and military right. to North Korea and try to open up a relation in terms of negotiation versus actual warfare. So North Korea has yet to respond, as as far as I'm concerned, or as far as I've heard. But um, that is so far uh, the only means, other than maybe China trying to broach negotiations and avoid um, a lot of the conflict that's happening there. I was right say, now. A good barometer too is you know the market, Wolfgang. Look at the market hasn't mm-hmm. been disrupted with uh, some of the noise coming Correct. out of North Korea too, which is a positive sign for sure. No, no, you, Jack, you nailed it because Jack and I always look to the market first when we see any kind of uh, unrest anywhere in the world. We look to see the market reaction is because if the market reacts seriously, you know you got yourself a significant problem. And it's if always not, discounting the probabilities of a favorable or unfavorable outcome, right? Well, correct, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, Samantha, real pleasure to have you. Ansel, you're, you're doing a great job. You keep it up. Uh, Rob, our producer, always a pleasure on the big board. Jack Hartle was back. Can't you tell? What a great show. Thank you very much and wish you all a wonderful weekend. Goodbye. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email wolfandjack at wolfgangkline.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.